Hi, I'm Dr. Rod Rorick of Rorick Knows. Welcome back. Helping you become a more educated you. And we are so pleased and honored to have with us one of my incredibly great friends and colleagues, a, a world expert in oculoplastic surgeon, Dr. Steve Fagan. Steve, welcome. Hey, you can see. Thank you, Rod. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's good. You can see he's in sunny Florida, you know, where we all want to be and live. So, uh, but Dr. Fagan is a down. is an incredible surgeon, an incredible human being, and he's uh, he's a world expert in uh, in oculoplastic surgery and also in neuromodulators and in fillers. So, Steve, we're going to talk a little bit about eyelids. So, the eyelids are the you know the key to the soul of a patient. So, tell us what what is new about eyelid surgery, and what have we been doing wrong for several decades until very recently? And actually, Steve is one of the innovators that really taught us what a useful eyelid truly looks like. Because plastic surgeons, me included, in the past 15 years ago, we would be taking fat out of the eye. And fat is such an important part of the face. Nowhere in the body do we want to preserve fat more so than in the eyelid. And, and Steve, Steve really was one of the pioneers that helped us to really persuade us to not take fat out. So Steve, welcome. And uh, so tell us about your vision of the ideal eyelid. Well, you know, you, you kind of touched on it. The, the problem with traditional surgery is it was excisional. We just remove things, remove skin, muscle, fat, right. and that was the solution. You you look at some of the great textbooks in plastic surgery and even oculoplastic surgery 30 years ago, those results would be unacceptable today. Even 20 years we, ago, you, yeah. Yeah, we, we made people look different 10 years ago. You're right. And, you know, it was like a wow effect, like look how different they look. And then you go, they don't look anything like they used to. So. Uh, you know, just like any other part of the face or the body, I and many others started looking at, okay, what, what, what is in a youthful face that we're trying to restore? And a lot of it, as you mentioned, is the appearance of volume. Right. And, and because of volume changes and volume shifts, we create a lot of shadows, just like anywhere on the face. So the excisional procedures not only don't work well or look well, they certainly don't look natural and they don't restore what the patients had when, when they were younger. Right. So I started looking at wh where we failed, and, and it started with the upper eyelids. You know, we used to take out skin, muscle, and fat, hollow out the upper eyelids, and that wasn't a really nice result. And again, they were thought to be great uh, 10, 20 years ago. So you, you look at young people, they have fullness in their, their infrabrow region. They have uh, a, a sharp, defined crease. All these things that we would... we frankly destroyed with traditional surgery. And so my early article on upper lip blepharoplasty really changed the way I was doing things and, and others. And, and I think it made people think about, okay, what, what's, what's youthful and, and what, where do we want to go and what are we trying to achieve? I, I agree. And you know, when, when Dr. Fagan presented that, and also when you actually did that live surgery, I was in Baker Gordon a long time ago, people were going, oh my God, we don't want to see that. That's really not. And yet, it made people look youthful. And all those things that have been published even in our journals made people look older and actually really old. Because as you mentioned, when, when you get old, you lose fat, your eyes sink in. And so really, it's, it was revolutionary. It changed my practice for eyelid surgery. And so I think you, know, you should be credited for doing that because less is more sometimes, especially in the eye. I mean, the eye to me is like the nose you really don't want to screw it up because it's hard to fix. Do you agree? 
I agree. And it, just like the nose and just like the lower eyelid, sometimes the most minimal improvement is dramatic. And, and, and it's undetectable, and that's the other thing. With Just like with good nose surgery, good eye surgery, good any surgery, it shouldn't look like it happened. And yet, you know, we all go to restaurants and out in public areas where we see patients where their surgery is so obvious, and that, that should never happen. You, great surgery, and we'll talk about injectables later, it, it should be undetectable. The lower eyelid's another issue, which was kind of uncharted territory, and people were just doing excisional surgery, removing skin and muscle, no canthal support, and they forgot the fact that things fail and things kind of degenerate with time. We get involutional changes, and, and it's a complex process of lower periorbital aging, and a one-size-fits-all approach just doesn't work for most people. So again, trying to derivatize and see where are the issues, and it was lack of canthal support, lack of skin tension and integrity, loosening of the muscle, shifting of fat, and then trying to address all those problems surgically is where I uh, started to change my thoughts about lower eyelid surgery, and that's why I published an article in PRS on retinacular suspension. Tell us, tell us about that. Way. Tell us about that, you know, for this consumer. What is cancel support? Tell us what, what that means to us as we get older. Well, interestingly, it's now become even more popular, and we get a lot of requests because the younger patients want that canthal tilt. That's like right. a new big thing. Yeah. They the, want the an upswing. Eyes turned up, not the right. fox Which, look. Yeah. Yeah. And in many, that that is unnecessary and unnatural. And the whole attempt to canthal support is not to change the shape of the eye; it's to preserve it. If you ask most patients who prevent for eyelid for eyelid surgery. They're not interested in any change. They want improvement, and they want to not change the shape of their eyes. So when people hear about canthoplexy, canthoplexy and canthoplasty, they think we're going to change the shape of their eyes. The purpose is to maintain it, and right. you need to support the outer corner. It's the foundation of the lower eyelid yeah. in, in, in order to do all the tightening that you may need to do and not change the position of the lower eyelid and the posture of the lower eyelid. Right. And, and what Dr. Fagan's talking about is this, this is the outer part of the eyelid. And as we get older, you know, it goes from a more youthful look to coming down a little bit. And really what he's talking about is just bringing this up just a little bit to make it look soft and natural and also to preserve the eyelid. Right. I mean, that's yeah, really what you want right. to do and not overdo it. Cause if you overdo it, it, changes the person's face completely. Yeah, and, and there were, you know, traditionally some canthoplasty procedures were altering. Right. So people have that notion that when you do a canthoplasty, you make people look different. And that the, the retinacular right. suspension is, is not intended to make people look different. Right. It's, it's meant, meant to preserve shape. And yes, temporarily they have a slight upward slant, but that's temporary. Right. Is I just need the eyelid position to be maintained while they're healing. Once you're in several weeks of healing, the canthal support is less necessary. And, and, and even skin flaps on lower eyelids. And we used to make an incision underneath the muscle, it's called a skin muscle flap. And and those were what most people did. The problem is you get denervation and, and you you lose uh, nerve input to the muscle. So tell us, tell us about that because that's truly been another innovation is that not only do we bring up and, and just slightly rejuvenate the outer layer, the, the canthus, but we no longer 
deep bulk or denervate, which means you you do you injure the nerve to the lower eyelid because you need that to blink. It's 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 not like it's a static event. It's not like the nose. If you denervate the eyelid, that's not a good thing. So so we've transitioned from skin muscle, which is both, and then to skin only. So tell us about why that is so important. For a lot of reasons. Um, one, the denervation, as you talk about. If, if you go under the muscle, you get denervation. And those that are fans of, of skin muscle flaps say that denervation is temporary. Well, that's true. Usually you get re-innervation, but the, the damage that it causes while you're re-innervating, which includes change in the lower eyelid posture, sometimes can be permanent. So I've avoided a skin muscle flap for years. Same here. Uh, secondly, when you make an incision under the skin, you have the best chance of making the skin look better. When you're in the deep plane under the muscle, you can tighten all you want. You're not going to tighten the skin with a skin muscle flap very much. So this so is it not the requires a lot of resection. So I like the skin flap for that reason. And thirdly, when you preserve the muscle, you can then use the muscle as an additional support to the lower eyelid. That blending of the lid cheek junction requires 